in three, in two, and one. Hi, thanks for tuning in. I appreciate it very much. Thank you for sitting down with me today. I'm Tim Anderson, the Appraiser's Advocate, and we call this one The Five Signs You Are a Great Real Estate Appraiser. In this podcast, we'll go over the five signs. You are a great real estate appraiser. The five signs have to do with your relationship with highest and best use, reconciliation, intended use and users, the subject's relevant characteristics, and your characteristics as an appraiser. The first sign you're a great real estate appraiser is your understanding of and your relationship with highest and best use. This is step three in six of the appraisal process, thus it's central to that process. It's important for at least two reasons. One, a sale isn't a comparable until it has the same highest and best use as the subject. This is by definition. Thus, you know not only the subject's highest and best use, both as vacant as improved, but you also know the highest and best use of the comps, both as vacant and as improved. And two, you know and practice that a credible value opinion flows from a properly developed highest and best use analysis. Without such an analysis, how is it possible to choose comps than adjust them for their salient differences with the subject? So a great real estate appraiser, you, understands the concept of highest and best use, follows the highest and best use analytical model in USPAP's Standard Rule 1-3, and then summarizes these analyses in the report per USPAP's Standard Rule 2-2A12. Just so you'll know, there are other highest and best use models to use, but we're going to stick with USPAP's in this podcast. We're going to discuss one highest and best use model, which is right out of USPAP, Standard Rule 1-3. This model differs slightly from both the model in the 14th edition of the Appraisal of Real Estate, as well as the Fannie Mae model. However, all of the models are valid, depending on the client and the appraisal's intended use. Where, on the 1004 form, do you analyze, list, and then discuss the first requirement of the highest and best use model, which is, quote, the existing land use regulations, unquote. Frankly, there is no such base. This is part of zoning, but wider than mere zoning, so you know it deserves a proper explanation. If necessary, this explanation must roll over into the addendum, which is perfectly okay. While the 1004 form requires merely a statement on the zoning, the implication of that statement is that you've analyzed the zoning and all of its ramifications fully first so you can make that short zoning statement credibly. Where on the 1004 form do you analyze, list, and then discuss the second requirement of the highest and best use model, which is, quote, a reasonably probable modification to such land use regulations? Again, there is no place on the form, so you also know that you just roll this over into the addendum. This part of the model requires a deep analysis of zoning and land use plan to determine if either of those is going to change, as well as when, why, and to what, something you already understand. Please note it is popular now for cities to upzone their residential areas. This allows denser development of the underlying land. Its purpose is to lower the cost of housing. Since these are all components of zoning, thus components of highest and best use, the appraiser analyzes these and you know that. 
Where on the 1004 form do you show economic supply and demand, the third requirement of the highest and best use model? Again, there's no specific place to show these, but the analysis of economic supply and demand is part of the one-unit housing trends, which is located in the neighborhood on page one of the 1004 form. Note that whichever box you check here, this is part of highest and best use, the yes box or the no box, means that you have already done the analyses necessary to check that particular box. You're aware that you're not misleading. You've got supporting details in the work file. You check consistently for internal consistency, and you're sure that you're looking at the entire market as well as the subject's sub-market. Next in the model is what is the physical adaptability of the real estate? Where do you show this on the form? You don't, but this analysis is a component of highest and best use. So you ask yourself the questions, can the subject be more profitably put to a use other than the present use? If so, why? If so, how? If so, when? If so, is it financially feasible? You also ask yourself, does the subject need repairs, renovations, or replacements? And, because you've done the analysis, you already know how to determine if these are financially feasible. There's no place for this analysis on the 1004 form, so again, you know you roll it over into the addendum. It doesn't need to be lengthy, it just needs to be there. And finally, the fifth component of the highest and best use model is that of market area trends. Where do you put those on the form? You know these go under site and neighborhood. Neighborhood boundaries, neighborhood description, and market conditions are all part of this. If there are any adverse site conditions or external factors to affect marketability or market value, you have analyzed them, and this is where you discuss them. Again, you can roll these over into the addendum. But the point is, you already know this. The issue here is that you've met the highest and best use challenges because before starting to write the report, you've already engaged in these analyses to answer these questions, thus already know the answers to them. You're a great real estate appraiser because you met and then overcame the highest and best use challenges inherent in any appraisal report. Sign number two that you're a great real estate appraiser has to do with reconciliation. You understand the need within the report not only to explain how you arrived at a credible value opinion, but within the reconciliation itself, why you chose to do what you did to arrive at a credible value opinion. Now, you're right. On the form, there isn't enough room to include a proper reconciliation. Therefore, you moved both parts of the reconciliation to the addendum so you can properly explain it. When you reconcile the quantity and quality of the data, as well as the applicability of the approaches, you also explain why you did what you did to arrive at a credible value opinion. The third sign you're a great real estate appraiser is your understanding of the definitions of intended use and intended users. USPAP, by those definitions, makes it clear that you, the appraiser, set both the appraisal's intended use and the report's intended users. Some appraisers think this choice falls to the client in its letter of engagement, but you understand that to be completely independent, impartial, and objective, however. Distinguishing the intended use and users is solely your responsibility. You understand that you have the privilege to name the appraisal's intended use and the appraisal report's intended users. These privileges are yours to limit your liability. 
You limit your liability solely to the named client and intended users. That's why you do it. This is a protection many courts have upheld over many years. There are four subject property characteristics, the analysis of which are part of the appraisal process. Because a property derives its value primarily from its utility, these four characteristics can add to or detract from a property's value. Thus, you know it is up to you, as part of the appraisal process, to analyze these four characteristics to show how and why they add to or detract from value. Via your analyses, you already understand the legal, physical, location, and economic characteristics of your subject, as well as those same characteristics for the comparable sales. After all, how can you adjust the comps to the subject in these areas unless you first know what these areas are in the comps? You understand that your analyses of the subject covers the four characteristics of the advantages and disadvantages of the site's physical location on the planet, as well as the site's components. You have analyzed the subject's physical characteristics to know their positive and negative aspects. These include the age and condition of the improvements, the improvements GLA, its site coverage ratio, and so forth. You've analyzed the advantages and disadvantages of the subject's legal characteristics, for example, its zoning or any deed restrictions. You've also analyzed the advantages and disadvantages of its economic characteristics. Does the current owner lease the subject? For how much? Does the current lease merely cover the debt service? Or does it provide an adequate return on investment, an ROI? You already know this because you've done these analyses. The fifth sign that you're a great real estate appraiser is that you understand the four characteristics of a great real estate appraiser. You're trained, educated, experienced, tried, and tested true. But by USPAP's definition, these are the four characteristics of an appraiser, which you already show in your day-to-day -day work. Number one, you're competent. You know what to do in any appraisal situation, then you do it. You get help when necessary, or you withdraw from an assignment when that's necessary. You know when a residential property is really commercial and therefore possibly outside of your competency. Number two, you're independent. The approval of others is unnecessary. The assistance of others is fine, but you accept full responsibility for choosing to use or exclude any of that assistance. You listen to the market and what it says, notwithstanding what others say, do, or think. You depend on rational market facts as well as replicable analyses, but you ignore rules of thumb. Next, you're impartial. You gather data from all the necessary, available, and credible sources, not merely MLS. You look at all the data, all the sales data, all the rental data, all the cost data, no matter where they came from. You may not use them, but you look at them. You analyze all the data before rejecting any, and face it, you'll reject a lot of it. You use the relevant data even if it tells the client other than what the client wants to hear. And you let the market dictate your value conclusion. Yes, it's your opinion, but it's your opinion based on the market. Finally, your objective. You report a declining market if indeed the market is in decline, no matter what the client thinks, demands, or threatens. Your final value opinion has its basis in market facts and market evidence. You admit your mistakes, and then you fix them, and you move on, and you don't dwell on them. 
You choose every day not to bow to client pressure. You recognize the need for change and then adapt to it as necessary. This means changes in the appraisal process, changes in CE, changes in state law, changes in appraisal protocols, changes in USPAP, changes in the Fannie Mae Selling Guide, etc. So, to review, there are five signs you're a great real estate appraiser. You understand that a well-prepared highest and best use analysis is the core to any credible appraisal. Further, you analyze highest and best use using an established, recognized model. You understand that in the reconciliation is where you get to explain why you did or did not do what you did. This allows you to explain and justify your final value opinion. You named the appraisal's intended use, and you named the appraisal report's intended users, not the client. This is your responsibility when you accept it's not the client's choice, which you know. Further, you understand why these are your responsibility and why you accept that responsibility. You've analyzed the subject's locational, physical, legal, and economic characteristics. You know how these influence the subject's market value as well as its marketability. And finally, you understand why it's important an appraiser have the characteristics of competency, independence, impartiality, and objectivity. If you have any questions about any of the topics we've covered today, I'm available for private consultation on a one-time basis or on a coaching, mentoring basis. Please visit my website, theappraisersadvocate.com, and go to the products page. You'll find numerous written materials that will help you with many of the appraisal issues we've talked about today. Again, I want to thank you for sitting down with me. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your attention. I look forward to hearing from you. It will be an honor to work with you. My best to you and to your family. Be safe and well. Thank you. And we're clear.